The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's reading is Psalm 128, a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Duncan Mock, for reading our scripture. Uh, we're going to be able to, we're going to start incorporating those of you who are not able to be here in person uh, if you want to, to read scripture. Uh, so if you're watching right now, send me an email uh, if you'd like to do this. And I'm going to be reaching out as well. But we really want and we can uh, incorporate uh, those who are watching from home into the service as well. And so thank you, Duncan, for, for being the first one to do that for us. That worked out great. Uh, quick uh, note on Duncan and Emily Mock and their family. They've been going through the naturalization process to become U.S. citizens, and they just finished that process this past week. So they're Americans now. Yeah. Congratulations on that, Mox. Um, okay, so this psalm is a wisdom psalm, and I have more to say about it than I have time to say things about it. So I'm going to move kind of quick uh, through this, but it's a beautiful passage of Scripture that uh, really piggybacks on the previous psalm. So last week we were reading that passage which talked about um, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And it ends by referring to uh, a man who would be blessed. And then this passage really begins to unpack what that blessedness looks like. And culturally, I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, or maybe just inform you ahead of time, that culturally there are some things for us to overcome uh, in this passage, and whenever there are cultural things for us to kind of have to lean into, it's an opportunity for us to practice humility, uh, because it's very easy for us to think that our cultural moment and the culture that we're living in is superior to all others, that it's the best, uh, and so we tend to have, we, we can tend to look down on the perspectives of other cultures, forgetting uh, that the moment that we're living in is really exceedingly rare in the course of human history. Uh, and so we do well to, to, to just uh, to be slow in assuming that what we're experiencing right now is the best that it's ever been. So what this passage is doing, Psalm 128, is describing what blessedness looks like. And Derek Kidner, who's a, who's a, a scholar in the Old Testament in Hebrew, um, he, he's a Hebrew scholar, he makes this comment about this, this passage here at the beginning. He says, the ingredients of true happiness, and really this is a psalm about happiness, he says, the ingredients of true happiness are summed up 
as reverence or right relationship to God and obedience, the habits learned from him. So the ingredients to true happiness are reverence for God and obedience to God. And enjoyment then of life is the resulting gift of those things. Reverence and obedience. The blessed is the one who fears the Lord. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. This wisdom psalm, it's like Psalm 1 in the sense that the book of Psalms begins with a statement similar to this. Blessed is he who will follow the Lord. He will not walk in the way of the sinner or sit in the seat of the scoffer. That the law of the Lord will be his delight. That there's satisfaction in walking with the Lord and in fearing the Lord. And so it's worthy, it's, it's worth asking what does it mean to fear the Lord? Um, because as a pastor, I've had that question a number of times put to me as, as a, um, a reluctance to enter into a relationship with God if what God wants from us is for us to fear him. Because we can put upon that expression fearing a boogeyman or fearing a, a disease or fearing, you know, that being afraid of something uh, as though it, it has the potential to harm us and we want to stay away from it. Fearing the Lord doesn't mean being afraid of him like being afraid of a boogeyman. It means that what we do is we possess reverence, respect, awe, right? So to fear the Lord, in a nutshell, is to take him seriously according to who he says he is. It's to see him as being in and over and around and involved and behind all things. And thus, he is then the one that we turn to for help and we turn to for direction and we turn to for faith. And so fearing the Lord, loving him with all that we have and all that we are with a reverence for his holiness and obeying him, what it does is it leads to blessings in this life and in the life to come. So fearing the Lord leads to blessings in this life and in the life to come. So let's get into the actual language of this passage and understand what's being said and then step back from it and look at it from a cultural perspective. This psalm is promising blessing for those, for everyone who walks in the way of the Lord and fears the Lord. And he names four particular areas of blessing. And they are self, the blessing of self. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. The blessing of spouse, blessing of children, and of nation. So self, spouse, children, nation. And what that's doing, what you're seeing, is it's working from the center outward, right? So that the blessing of the Lord works from the center, works from, from me, inside of me, to my partner in life, to my children, to my nation. I already hear the questions that we're raising in our minds about, well, what about, what about, what about? Let's get into that. So the blessing of self, he says, you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. There will be a kind of a satisfaction. The fruit of your hands you will eat, and you'll be blessed, and it shall be well with you. And then he goes on to say, uh, your wife will be a fruitful vine. She'll be like a fruitful vine within your house. What does this mean? This psalm is addressed to a man. Okay, we're going to talk about that in a minute, so put a pin in that. We'll get back to that in just a second. 
But let's look at the cultural context here. For the man who fears the Lord and walks in his ways, his wife will be a fruitful vine. So on its surface, what Scripture is saying is she will carry forward your name. Children are a blessing that are promised here. And children mean stability. People who will work the fields. People who will tend the store. People who will grow the family's contribution and carry forward the inheritance. We, we have to understand that this is intended, right? So before we start to qualify and say, well, because we start thinking about infertility and we start thinking about singleness and we start thinking about that and we think, wait, is God promising a blessing only to these people who do this? And what's important for us to understand is that in this culture, in the biblical culture, this was paramount for the survival of a, of a family was offspring and was lineage and was a family unit staying together. And so we're going to get in that. But he's saying your wife will be a fruitful vine. And when he says she will be a fruitful vine, he, he, he means children because that's in here, but he means more than children. And this is what's important for us to understand when we read scripture. Whenever God is promising a temporal earthly blessing... He means that, but he means more than that. He means something beyond that, which makes a passage like this apply to anyone, whether they're married or single, whether they have children or not. And so follow me on this. Being a fruitful vine isn't just about children. It's also about festivity. It's about joy. In other words, the Lord is saying, follow me, and one of the things that will be in your life will be joy, will be festivity. Where is that seen on display? It's seen in a fruitful vine, right? So if you've ever been to a vineyard and seen the vines sagging under the weight of heavy grapes, you're not really thinking about grapes. You're thinking about the potential of those grapes, right? You're thinking, you're looking at a field and you're seeing wine. And what is wine but festivity, right? I was in Israel not that long ago in 2017. I took a trip with a group and our tour guide, we, we happened to be there while the vines were heavy with grapes. And I remember that our guide kept looking at the fields and he would always tell us, look at those vines. When we were driving in the bus, he'd say, look, out the, look at those vines. And he would always call attention to these. And one of the things he said is he said, when I see those, what I see is water in a desert. I see water, I see, I see liquid, I see, I see water that can sustain life growing in a desert, and it's a miracle, and he never got tired of it. Every time we'd pass a vineyard that was covered in grapes, he would just say, look at all that water, that there's festivity there. And so one of the things he's saying here is he's saying, joy awaits those who fear the Lord. The mechanism for that in the ancient culture came through family and through vineyard and through wine. And so this was a metaphor that everybody would have understood. But it's not exclusively about fertility. It's really not also exclusively about fertility and festivity, but it's also about fidelity, which I realize I've just given you three words that start with the same letter, which I almost never give you, so you're welcome Fertility, festivity, and fidelity. 
But that's what's happening here. He's saying that though fertility was very important in ancient cultures, the building, for the building and carrying forward of families who depended on each other for survival, let alone prosperity, the promise here is about more than that. There's also fidelity. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 11 talks about the adulterous person. It talks about the adulterous woman in Proverbs, but it's talking about the adulterous person And he describes the adulterous person as someone who, quote, whose, quote, feet do not stay at home. That's interesting because here in this passage, when he talks about the wife being a fruitful vine, he adds, within your house. So the adulteress or the adulterer is somebody who is restless to seek satisfaction elsewhere. But here, the psalm says, the one who follows the Lord, the blessedness stays within your home. For those who obey the Lord, satisfaction is addressed for you. Your soul will be satisfied. Why? Because we have a place. We have an inheritance. We, we don't need to wander. We don't need to seek an identity as though we don't already have one. Fertility, yes, but also festivity and fidelity are intended here in this statement about your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. It was assumed that this was a value for any man, and the psalm is addressed to men. Again, we're getting back to that. Children. We move on to this third blessing, children, heirs. And heirs were the most tangible expression of having a future. More than having personal property wealth, more than having a good reputation, children were the most tangible expression of having a future. Because without children, everything that you owned could be passed on to somebody else. In fact, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, there are large sections of that book which are talking about the futility of trying to accumulate something for yourself and how when you're gone, it's gone, right? But the the image of children and the idea of children in this culture was that you would have a future. Is that what you're about right now will carry on and it will last. See, it's about the material world, but it's also about something so much more, isn't it? The spiritual blessing of of we have a future with the Lord. And I love the language that the Lord uses here to describe the blessing of children. He says, for the one who reveres and obeys the Lord, he doesn't just have children, but those children grow And they grow like olive shoots, meaning they pop up adjacent to the root. They're there. They're part of the system. And they pop up adjacent to the root. And what are these these shoots? What's called to mind in the idea of of a young shoot? But there's something that is full of life. And it's full of strength. If you keep a garden and you see something growing up and you don't do something about it, it grows. And it just grows and grows and grows. It knows how to do that. These shoots come up and they're full of life and they're full of strength and they're full of possibility and these are the very things that fade with an aging parent, right? Strength, life, possibility. These are being rejuvenated in these new shoots that are coming up. And so children symbolize new growth. And so you have here this picture of blessed is the one who fears the Lord, he will have a wife and kids. Right? That's what, that's what we're reading here. 
And we're seeing that Scripture's saying that oh, this image of a wife and kids, they're, they're a path to greater blessing. Not just them, but to a greater blessing. And we see this in, in the nation, in the blessing of the nation which comes. But really, when you see, okay, when we're reading about wives and children as being blessings, what is the blessing under the blessing? And it's this, and this is where it applies to all of us, the blessing of stability. The Lord says, if you fear me, under you, you there is stability. There is festivity. When we walk with the Lord, there is occasion for joy. There's reason for joy. There's hope. Fidelity, that we're set in a place that doesn't fade, that doesn't fall apart, that the Lord holds that together. A future, we have a future. We have something that is going to happen. We have a place where we belong now and a place where we belong forever. And it leads to that fourth area of blessing where he says, the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. The prosperity of Jerusalem is about more than the immediate family. And this psalm is going from the inside out. It's expanding, right? That the blessing of the Lord, fearing the Lord, is about more than the immediate family. It's about all of us. The collective whole, the world that we occupy. Your individual welfare, my individual welfare, is bound up in the welfare of God's people as a whole. Which is profoundly comforting when we have people that we love and when we ourselves get lost and struggle and go through seasons of doubt and uncertainty and wonder, Lord, are you going to just cut me loose? We read a passage like this and we remember the Lord doesn't keep us as just individual people that he sorts out into a good pile and a bad pile, but he keeps us collectively. Right, Your individual welfare is bound up in the welfare of God's people as a whole. God's blessing on one person doesn't just benefit that one person, but it benefits the whole of God's people. And you see this, right? Picture a nation. Picture a nation that is filled with generations of people who have sought the faithfulness of the Lord. That is a peaceful nation. A peaceful nation is a nation that is filled with people who collectively fear the Lord together. By the way, this is a perfect description of the kingdom of God, right? It is the kingdom of the Lord where all of his people are centered on him. And so we want these blessings. We want all kinds of blessings. We want things that, that are implied in these blessings, right? We want confidence that our work matters, we want confidence that our home is going to be a happy place, that what we're working on and what we leave behind, our children, our legacy, our fingerprints on other people's lives, is something that will continue to affect change long after we're gone. We want these things. And that's what the psalm is saying, is saying, if you walk with the Lord, if you fear him, there is joy now and there is hope forever. What's it all about? Well, the psalm is addressed to men, referencing his wife and children, you know, it says, thus a man shall be blessed. But we see in the first verse of this psalm that though it's addressed to men, it's not about men. We see in the opening verse, he says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And then addresses the culture as ancient cultures functioned. This culture in this passage 
is, is different from ours, right? It's a different thing than ours. Here's what we have to understand. That's true, that this culture is different from ours. That is true of every culture this world has ever seen. We live in a time that is exceedingly unique. No one has ever lived in a culture like the one that we're living in right now. No one. And let me give you just a couple of reasons why that is. No one has ever lived in a culture where we are able to communicate globally and immediately and freely, right? So I can know right now what happened in Jerusalem last night, and I can know what's going on in China, and I can read stories about what's happening in Germany, but more than that, I can FaceTime with people who are in Germany, and they can tell me right here and right now, and we can compare governments and laws and responses to things that are happening in the world. No one has ever lived in a time like that where we can communicate globally, immediately, and freely. But we live in that right now, and it's different than any other time anybody has ever lived. And one of the things that has come out of that is that we live in a culture that prizes that kind of thing, that prizes the ability to be so nimble and quick and autonomous in the ways that we live, that we can just flip the script and rewrite it. This culture that the scripture is written to is one that was built on families and clans and the industry that came out of families and clans. And we should be careful not to presume that our cultural moment is superior to theirs. One of the things that's a part of our culture right now that I think is good is that men and women have come to exist on a more equal plane than any other time in history. If we're measuring according to things like opportunity and access and pay scale, we still have a long way to go on these things, but we have also come a long way too However, set that aside for a minute, and let me ask the question. We also live in a culture that has had a passionate commitment to autonomy, to the preservation of self. And I ask you this question. Has our quest for autonomy, autonomy made us better off? Because we do prize it, don't we? Follow me on this for a minute. One of the things that our culture prizes above all others is autonomy. It's the freedom to do what you want, when you want, how you want. We prize this. We're even taught this growing up, right? You're told in school you can be class, anything you want to be, right? You can be whatever you want to be, which is not true. It's terribly misleading for little hearts, right? To believe that you can be and do anything that you want to. If you just put your mind to it, you can't be taller uh, and play in the NBA. There are some people that just it's not going to work out for them in that respect. But we're told this. You can be an astronaut. You can be a marine biologist. I grew up in a small landlocked farming town in Indiana, and I can't tell you how many aspiring marine biologists I went to high school with. And we look at this as a kind of an ultimate good. This is the highest good to be able to break free from the paths that might have been otherwise blazed for us. Here, okay, now we're getting into the heart of this passage. Now we're getting into the heart of this. 
is we live in a time that says, you know what's a great value, what's more important than anything else, is your ability to flip the script and break free of any path that's been laid, to you, laid for you. If you are a young person, you're being taught that your identity is yours to make up from a blank slate. And you can be anything you wanna be, you can think how you wanna think, you can claim any identity that you want. Has this always been seen as an ultimate good? No way, not even close. In fact, for most of human history, this would have been regarded as disastrous. I mean, and I'm not exaggerating, this would have been regarded as disastrous. It would have meant the farm is just going to be overcome with weeds and be left alone or taken. There was a time not that long ago where when you were the child of a baker, guess what you were gonna be? When you meet somebody who has the last name Baker, guess where that came from? That's where it came from. If you meet somebody who has the last name Smith, Guess where that came from? These were professions, right? These were professions. If you were a farmer, if you were a cobbler, you had a path. Now we see that as a kind of a restriction, a system that we celebrate being free from. I can make it all up. I can go my own way. Reinvention is life. And this psalm is saying reinvention is not life. Stability is life. In ancient times, it would have been a disaster for parents and children alike if children grew up with the idea that they could choose to be anything they wanted. Why? Because a family's wealth was tied to its industry. If a child wanted to prosper, they would build upon what their parents had built, which was built for them by what their parents had built. And a child grew up knowing what resources were at their disposal. They knew where they were going. They knew what was at their disposal. And what, by the way, what they were about and what they were growing up for was essential to the community as a whole, right? The farmers were needed not just for the family, but for the community. The people who kept livestock, they didn't eat all those animals. Those were the community's animals and their job was to tend them for the community. A child grew up knowing that I have a role in this community that's already been established. It's sacred. People then didn't look at their family or farm and think, I can't wait to move on from this. It's why the prodigal son story is so scandalous, is that Jesus tells the story of, an, of a son who goes to his father and says, I want to leave all this. That was the sound of screeching brakes. It was an unthinkable act of arrogance to do that. Why? Because the thing that they wanted to leave is their inheritance. It was built for them. And it was what they would build upon. It was their wealth. It was their future. And we know this is true because it's framed in this psalm as an ultimate blessing in life, a household holding together. Stability is a picture of an ultimate blessing. Are we better off in a culture that seeks to be free from that? If you, young people, can I say that without sounding condescending? Young people listen, parents listen. Person who is trying to figure out who you're supposed to be in this world, listen. You come from somewhere. You come from somewhere. 
You're not just free floating out there in the ether. You have a foundation under you. You're known, you're seen, you belong. Young people today have an incredible burden on their shoulders to try to establish an identity and try to make themselves belong someplace. And what this passage is saying is happiness is in belonging where you come from. That you come from somewhere. A number of years ago, a band that I loved in high school came and did a concert at the Wild Horse Saloon in downtown Nashville. The band was Striper. Have any of you ever heard of Striper? Striper is a uh, big hair metal L.A. sunset strip, spandex, lead guitar solos, giant hair, uh, heavy metal band uh, that was Christian. And I had their posters covering my walls. They wore yellow and black. They, 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 that was their thing. They wore yellow and black. And I grew up adoring this band. I mean, I, I could show you a picture. Maybe I'll post a picture online uh, later of my bedroom walls when I was a kid, and it's just covered in striper posters. Anyway, I found out that they were coming to play a show at the Wild Horse Saloon, and I secretly went to my wife and I said, hey, Striper's in town, and I kind of want to go. And she said, you do you, man. And uh, so, so I didn't tell anybody. It was a secret. And I got there early, and I... Bought one ticket. How pathetic is that? I brought work with me to do during the concert. So I could sit in the back because it was like at a lounge kind of area. And so I could sit at the back at a table and work and play it real cool like, you know. Because I was a little embarrassed that I loved this band so much. And yet here I was and part of me was like, am I doing this to be ironic? Is that why I'm going to see them now? What's, what's the reason that this is happening? And I was convincing myself just don't... <laughs> Just come, kind of like as an investigator and just, just be willing to observe what's happening, but don't get into this. And, and I, when it came time to, for them to open the doors, I got in line, and guess who's in front of me and behind me in line? Diehard Striper fans. They're wearing Striper t-shirts, they've got yellow and black, they've got merchandise they want to get signed by the band. And I'm thinking, who are these people that they would come out like this? And then I made another observation about them that just cut me to the heart. And it was this observation. They were all my age. These were my people. We all had the same bedroom 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And it all had the same posters, and we all knew the same songs. And I was like, mm, mm, mm. And I felt this compulsion to stay at a distance, and I went, and I went up into the second level of the Wild Horse Saloon so I could sit at a table and watch over the railing. Down there as there were all these, not, not that many by the way, there were maybe 150 people and they were all pushed up to the stage to be as close as they possibly could. Not me, I'm playing it cool because I've come a long way since then, right? They get into their first song and I feel it. It just comes over me. And I am an 18 year old kid again in my room in love with all things spandex and big hair and guitar solos. And I find myself packing up my stuff and going down there to get right into the crowd with everybody else. Why? Because I come from somewhere, right? 
I come from somewhere. Those were my people. That was my band. I was there in the room, and I couldn't resist. You come from somewhere. In ancient times, no one would have thought that the goal of a self-actualized life is to sever your ties from where you've come and reinvent it all over again. And the gospel doesn't teach that either. You come from somewhere. There is a God who lives, who has made you for a relationship with himself. There's a part of you that will never be complete without that love. And that love is meant to shape every other love that you know. And if you're a Christian, you know where that love resides. And that love resides in Christ. And what does he give us? Well, he gives us a home. And what is in that home? Brothers and sisters, a groom, fidelity, festivity, joy, stability, hope, a future, which is another way of saying your inheritance. This passage is telling us reinvention isn't life. Stability is life. Belonging is life. Rootedness is life. It's what your heart longs for. And this is what the Lord promises for those who fear him. This is happiness. Why is this good news? It's good news because inherent in this promise is the assurance, one, that we have roots that go deep. We have ancient roots that we're tied into. We will not be shaken. And also, we have a glorious future. Ancient roots, a glorious future. And we can tap into ancient blessing that leads to everlasting joy. You come from somewhere. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. <coughs> Lord, in this passage, you call us to fear you. And you talk about the blessed life. And you talk about it in terms that ancient readers would have understood as the assumed pinnacles of blessing, family, descendants, a nation that is at peace, being able to enjoy the work of our hands, eat the fruit of our labors, to have an eternal hope that is anchored in an ancient promise and an ancient inheritance. And Lord, these are the things that you give us. Forgive us for the ways that we have pursued autonomy over connection, for the ways that we have pursued reinventing ourselves over embracing the identity that we find in you because of your love for us. Lord, you're merciful and you're good and you're kind. The things that we need, the things that were represented then and now in a family and descendants and a nation at peace, a place of belonging where we are at peace with one another and where our future is secure. These are things that are, we're meant to long for. Uh, and Lord, we thank you that in the gospel we see that we do not find these ultimately satisfied in other people, but we find them ultimately satisfied in you.
And so, Father, we thank you for that. Help us to fear you. Help us to revere you, to humble ourselves, to walk in your ways, to not think that our nation or our time that we live in is somehow uh, wiser than any other era that has ever lived and to be dismissive of, of things people once valued that, we, that we're now cynical toward. But Lord, give us a humility of heart. Father, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for the gift of community. Thank you for even the way that's represented in the local church. Uh, heal our land. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.